Hi friends, welcome back to another episode of the Psychedelic Spotlight Podcast. I'm your host, David Flores, CEO of Psychedelic Spotlight. Most of us have probably heard some version of the saying, a happy and healthy employee is a productive employee. In fact, it's a big reason why several employers spend thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars each year on various health insurance benefit programs for their employees and the families of their employees. However, as a large contingency across society continues to search for natural and more holistic alternatives to drugs and therapies such as SSRIs that have been mainstays for decades as the go-to treatment for mental health conditions ranging from depression to anxiety, more and more employees are hoping to gain access to employer-sponsored health benefits that push beyond the limits of traditional treatments and that even include treatments involving legal psychedelic medicine, such as ketamine therapy. But requesting a meeting with your company's HR representative or CEO to discuss ketamine therapy might feel like something that could get you fired from your job, given the long-standing and ill-advised stigma that remains tied to psychedelic medicines like ketamine. And that is exactly where Enthia is focused on bridging the divide between employers and legal access to psychedelic-assisted therapy within the workplace. Enthia is a mental health company dedicated to providing access to safe and affordable psychedelic-assisted therapy, beginning with ketamine therapy. And on today's podcast, I am thrilled to be joined by Enthia's CEO and co-founder, Sherry Rays, to discuss Enthia's very unique objective of helping employers optimize happiness and health within their workplace by integrating ketamine therapy as an add-on to their existing employee health benefit programs. So join me here on this very fascinating conversation with Sherry on how Enthia is laying the foundation for accessibility and affordability to psychedelic therapy within the workplace. Joining me here today on the Psychedelic Spotlight podcast is Sherry Rays, who is the CEO and co-founder of Enthia, a mental health company dedicated to providing access to safe and affordable psychedelic-assisted therapy, beginning with ketamine therapy. As a public benefit corporation, Enthia is prioritizing the removal of health equity obstacles that impede people from receiving impactful mental health care services. And so with that, Sherry, welcome to the podcast. It is a pleasure to have you here with us. How are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks for having me, David. Yeah, we're very happy to have you here and very happy to be able to have this opportunity to spotlight Enthia. I think what you folks are focused on here uh, is so fascinating because I think so much of the conversation here in the psychedelic space and psychedelic community up to this point, at least in my opinion, has been on the biotech companies and the companies involved in the different clinical trials involving psychedelic drugs and psychedelic assisted therapy. But there's this whole other side involving accessibility that I don't think has gotten nearly enough attention as it should. And Anthea really is focused on enhancing accessibility. And you folks have really taken a very specific approach into how you're trying to tackle this challenge of accessibility, basically looking at employers and saying, all right, you obviously want to create happy, healthy, and productive 
workforces, uh, employees and their families and everyone has access to health benefits for their physical and mental health. But why not add in ketamine therapy? Because we're obviously seeing a lot of fantastic data and information coming about how ketamine therapy can really, in many instances, inspire breakthroughs for individuals who have just not been able to find relief through traditional therapies and in some instances, drugs for different mental health uh, conditions, such as depression, anxiety, and PTSD, ketamine therapy is helping a lot of people. And so I love that you have taken this approach. And so uh, I'm curious, Sherry, how did Anthea come to be and how did you get it all started? Yeah, thanks for asking. And thanks um, for that great introduction into what we do. Um, it really came out of the need and realization, like you said, thinking about uh, access and affordability, that in the psychedelic ecosystem, um, there are a lot of people working on biotech, there are a lot of great ideas happening, there's people working on research and clinical trials, but there isn't enough focus on access. And we, as uh, people working in this space, know how powerful and helpful these medicines can be, but we also know how expensive they can be. And for me, coming from a background of um, international development work, working in very resource-constrained environments and working on poverty reduction, I'm always thinking dollars and cents and thinking about this statistic that most Americans can't afford a $500 unexpected expense really hit me that, okay, so unless insurance covers this, most people are not going to be able to afford psychedelic therapy. And so many people need it and so many people are suffering, but it's going to be out of reach for most of us. Um, so that's really kind of what led to the idea of creating a way, a pathway for people to have access to these medicines. And I think that's so important because what strikes me the most on a personal level is what got me involved in this space and, and what really motivated me to get involved in the psychedelic community here is I lost my father in 2018 after a long battle with alcoholism and depression. And it was shortly after his passing that I started to come across stories and information about many people across society finding relief through psychedelic assisted therapy. But once I started to see the price that was associated with it, you know, I was frustrated because my, my thought process was, well, okay, even if this had been more readily available to my father as he was going through his struggle, the reality is, you know, my family and I, we wouldn't have been able to afford it. We grew up relatively, relatively poor on, on the low end of the middle class. Uh, so we wouldn't have been able to afford it. And so what I love is that, you know, insurance obviously getting insurance companies to buy in is going to be huge from an accessibility standpoint. So I'm curious here, you know, uh, how has the conversation been? I mean, are insurance companies relatively receptive to this? Is there any pushback? What have you found so far? Yeah. So I want to highlight first, perhaps maybe like the difference in when we're talking about accessibility and affordability. Um, accessibility is the ease which people can access uh, a certain type of therapy, in this case, psychedelic therapy. And that can be limited by the availability of providers, uh, the geographic location of providers, their wait lists. Um, you know, we, we know how hard it is like with a mental health professional to even just see one because they have long wait lists. And then affordability is um, the ability of people to pay for this. So that's more referring to the cost. Um, there's a lot of issues with psychedelic assisted therapy on both sides of this equation, both the access and the affordability. Um, Psychedelic assisted therapy costs a lot. 
Uh, and also there's a limited number of providers who are trained in this type of therapy. And then that number is even more limited if you go to rural or outside of urban areas. Um, so that's how why we look at certain, you know, different models of maybe group or at home models of psychedelic therapy to more touch on that access issue. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to make that distinction. And then in answer to your question about the reception of this, well, really Anthea was formed because in conversations with larger insurance carriers and in looking at the market, large insurance carriers are still very far away from covering this. They don't have the expertise in-house. They haven't built out the medical policies yet. Um, we fortunately recently got CPT codes approved, which is a great step in the right direction, but it doesn't mean that insurance carriers are going to be covering this anytime soon. So we kind of created a, a pathway for access and affordability through Anthea for employers to add this on as a ancillary or, or added benefit. And I think that's that's great because when you look at employers, obviously we know they spend some in some instances, you know, millions of dollars on employee health benefit programs, all designed to try and provide an environment for their employees where they can live happier, healthier lives, their families can live happier and healthier lives, because typically a happy and healthy employee is a more productive employee. So you understand why there's the investment there. But as I talked about at the top, the reality of the situation is, you know, many of the resources that are available out there uh, designed to help people, whether it's physically or mentally, aren't really working for everyone. And ketamine-assisted therapy in, in this particular instance is something that is really demonstrated to be an opportunity for individuals suffering from whether it's depression or anxiety or PTSD to experience real breakthroughs with that. So I, to me, it makes sense why you would want to have ketamine therapy added on to a health benefit program. As you're talking to employers out there, I mean, and you mentioned ketamine therapy, is it is it like, what are you talking about? That's that's a recreational drug. Is there an educational process involved there? Yeah, there is definitely an educational process involved. And I really appreciate how you mentioned that uh, mental health is so important to employers because of how it affects employees' productivity. And our existing treatments, as we know, aren't that effective. So antidepressants um, have been shown to only work in about 15% of the people that take them. And they come with a lot of side effects and, and people don't, most people don't take them for more than two months, even though they should be taking them for longer. Um, and then even with talk therapy, there's data that shows that only 35 to 40% of patients, um, I mean, 35 to 40% of patients don't improve with talk therapy. Um, so there's an education component before we even get into the education component about ketamine. There's an education component with employers about existing treatment options. What we've seen since COVID is actually a lot of employers focused on their employees' mental health and well-being because COVID impacted everyone so so greatly. What employers don't realize is a lot of the programs that they've implemented, it's great that they're focusing on mental health, aren't actually working and aren't leading to results. So that's the first education component we tackle. And then the next piece is actually about the benefits of ketamine. So we talked to employers about how, for example, 89% of people who take ketamine therapy report improvements in mental health. 63% um, of them see like a greater than 50% reduction in their symptoms of anxiety and depression. So there's a whole education component 
component around ketamine therapy. And it's an interesting one because it's been around for decades. We've yep. been using ketamine for a long time. So yeah, there definitely is that component. And so I guess my question here is, uh, ketamine is, is at the forefront of it right now because it's readily available. In some instances, it's, it's you know, it received uh, FDA breakthrough therapy status. So there are ketamine clinics out there uh, offering ketamine-assisted therapy. We know what's happened, you know, in the state of Oregon and Colorado recently legalizing the psilocybin therapy initiatives there, um, specifically for mental health uh, purposes. As Anthea continues to grow here over the next few years, are there plans to try and incorporate some of these other psychedelic medicines such as psilocybin? Yeah, definitely. Um Definitely part of the plan. In fact, the way we're building out our provider network right now is even with the providers that we're bringing in that work for ketamine-assisted therapy, we ask them if they've been trained with MDMA or psilocybin. So we're keeping that in mind. Um, we're basically creating the infrastructure and building the foundation of what psychedelic therapy as a workplace benefit looks like, such that when MDMA and psilocybin become approved, this can be an added a very easy to turn on option. So the idea is that I think MDMA is scheduled to be approved sooner or before psilocybin assisted therapy. And once that's approved, we're hopefully gonna be in a position where we can turn this on and employers, existing customers of ours can choose to add this as a benefit. Yeah, I think that that's exciting and, and being able to lay the foundation now, I think is so important because we know the progress that's being made. We know, you know, MAPS, um, in the work that they're doing with their clinical trial with MDMA. Uh, so it's it seems to be right around the corner. So I, I like that you're already starting to prepare for that. Uh, I know you were uh, it's Psychedelic Science 2023, the, the conference. I just want to get, uh, you know, kind of your take and your thoughts on that, because I, for me, it was mind-blowing, um, you know, seeing the turnout that was there. Um, and really just kind of a, a reinforcement of, my goodness, this is really happening. You know, I think those of us that work in the psychedelic space, sometimes we find ourselves in a bit of a vacuum. You know, we, we think this is the biggest thing ever, you know, but we don't realize that many people outside don't really know what's going on. So uh, I felt like this was a real sign that this is really happening. This is picking up momentum. So I'm just wondering, what was your take? What was your perspective uh, from the conference? So thank you for asking that question. I had a really interesting experience of uh, being at Psychedelic Science. I was so grateful to get a chance to speak um, about what Anthea is doing and about access um, there and being overwhelmed like we all were with you know close to 15,000 people in one place. And the feeling I had while at Psychedelic Science was like, okay, this is really happening. Like we've hit a new milestone. This is probably now much more mainstream than we thought. Uh, in from my wearing my Anthea hat, like it's going to be so much easier selling this to potential employers because clearly this is like a big deal and it's getting media coverage everywhere. And I went from psychedelic science literally the next week to a conference called Collision, a tech conference in Toronto with 40,000 people, not 15,000 wow. people. And I got to speak there, which was also great, but it was such an interesting juxtaposition of, 
oh wait, reality check. This still isn't as me. We are still in a bubble because I went to that conference, spoke about psychedelics. It's the first time they had someone speak about psychedelics there and was bombarded afterwards with people who had questions, which was great. Most of them had never heard about psychedelic therapy. Most of them were coming to me being like, I've been struggling with depression. I've been struggling with anxiety. Tell me more. I've never heard of this. They hadn't heard of how to change your mind on Netflix or they haven't heard of Michael Pollan. And I was like, okay, I'm still living in a bubble then. So my experience was, you know, I think I experienced that thing of this is becoming mainstream. And then immediately was like, no reality check. We still have a, a while to go. Yeah, we do. You know, one thing I noticed with you, Sherry, is you're very passionate about what you're doing here. And I'm curious, is there is there a personal element to the work that you, you do here and the time that you invest into Anthea? Um, I know a lot of folks in the psychedelic space, you know, we're in this because of personal, you know, uh, personal passion, personal reasons. Uh, I'm just curious to kind of understand, you know, what fuels you on a day-to-day basis to do what you do? Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, There is a personal element for me, and I think it goes beyond just having my own uh, issues with mental health and my own healing journey. For me, it's been really broader. Um, Going back to like, if I trace the roots in my childhood, I grew up in a community and in a family where service was very emphasized. We have a word in our community called seva and it's the act of you know doing service so from like the age of 4 i was taught to volunteer and the importance of being a volunteer and that led me down a, a whole path a career path and a life path of dedicating myself to serving others and i spent 10 years uh working in very difficult challenging environments um consulting with the un and the world bank and i was focused on poverty reduction because to me the idea that we have enough resources in the world yet people are struggling to eat um just doesn't actually make sense still does right. not make sense to me um and sorry it's a long answer to your question but um the personal side for me was after a decade of working in poverty reduction, I worked in 37 countries. I implemented different programs at the national level and I came out of it seeing, okay, we can do a lot to reduce poverty. We can actually give people food. We can um, redistribute resources. We can give people access to good healthcare, good education, good jobs. We can build roads. We can make sure people have internet. But if we don't address mental health, there's going to be a huge part of the population that doesn't get to come out of poverty. And so I felt like I spent um, most of my life's work was focused on this thing and I wasn't addressing the main need. And uh, yeah, that's deeply personal to me because, you know, what I'm what's fueling me every day is like, why are there still people suffering? Yeah. Why? We have tools, we have ways to get out of this. And so um actually and tying this all in I recently uh I'm super grateful and honored I got to write an article for a publication that uh serves international aid workers and serves people working in communities like I was working in and it's the first time a publication for international or international development workers um focused on psychedelic therapy so I got to write about the potential of that in those communities and uh that's actually really exciting to me. 
Yeah, and, and I love what Anthea is focused on. It's a very specific solution to a problem. You know, I think you know, I've spoken with with many different people across the psychedelic space. And you know what always what encourages me is we there's this real passion to want to make sure we do things differently here and to make sure that affordability and accessibility both are in line with one another because you talked about earlier, they're two different things. Um, and I feel like there's enough interest here and enough motivation to want to make sure that there are solutions put into place to ensure that psychedelic assisted therapy is available to everyone. And, and Anthea, you know, really is focused on how you're going to do that specifically. So I really am encouraged by the work that you're doing here. Just a question off the top of my head here that I'm kind of curious about is as, as you go out there, are you, do you, do you take the approach of trying to get with the companies first, basically saying, you know, this is something you want to offer your employees, or is the approach more to the insurance companies? This is what you should be telling your clients, the companies that they should be offering. I'm just curious what the approach has been like, because this is, this is kind of new work here. Like this is something that no one has really done before. So just curious how you've, you've gone about that way. Yeah. So um, we're definitely trying different approaches um, and, and not sticking to one lane because we want to get this out there. Um, but our focus has been on talking to employers. When we are talking to employers about offering this to their employees, the approach will depend on um, first whether or not they're psychedelic curious or psychedelic open. A lot of times we're talking to companies where a C-suite or a founder or a decision maker at the company may have had a personal psychedelic experience or may have had a family member that's had a psychedelic experience. And the conversation in, in that case is much easier, to be honest, because we're speaking the same language. We know the effects of this. We know how this helps. But we are definitely talking to a lot of employers who haven't had a psychedelic experience and in that case, we're really talking to them about, you know, there's different things that companies are aware of. Like, for example, 83% of employees right now in the U.S. have work-related stress. And 90% of people that left their job last year felt burnt out. And that's the number one reason for actually Gen Zers and millennials to leave their job is uh, mental health issues or burnout. Um, and more than half of employees in this country are saying they're not receiving the mental health care that they need. And also more than half of them are saying they place more importance on a healthy work-life balance and getting mental health benefits than they do on financial compensation now, like to a certain yeah. point, of course, they need to get paid enough. But beyond that, they're, they're caring more about the benefits, more about the mental, the work-life balance than they care about their pay. Um, so we're really having these conversations with employers, like most employers know that if they're having a, a an employee that's um, dealing with a mental health issue, they're not productive a third to half of the time while they're at work. Um, what employers don't know until we talk to them is it's actually not just if their employees are dealing with the mental health issue, it's even with somebody at the household of the employee if they're dealing with a mental health issue if their partner is dealing with the mental health issue that's going to affect the employee's productivity as well and i think this is when we talk about not wanting to do things the old way uh, i think this approach and being able to look at the many different dimensions that are involved with what ultimately helps create an environment for employees to be happy to be healthy and to be productive. You know, in the past, it was 
pizza party, you know, a pizza every Friday, you know, uh, or, or things like that. But I think we've learned that that's just not enough. You know, there's so much going on and, and that, that doesn't, it's not restricted to just the workplace itself. But like you said, it goes beyond into to their, their everyday life at home. And it could be something with a family member. Um, and so I, I just, I love this approach, you know, someone that is, has I spent time, you know, working in human resources and uh, was in health benefits, you know, I think this is how you really go about creating a very happy and healthy workplace. So I really love this approach. And so for any employers out there, you know, if there's a CEO of a company, you know, or a C-suite, you know, listening to this podcast right now, or an employee who says, ah, I wish my company offered this, you know, where could they go to get the process started here? Yeah, they can um, go on our website. They can email us at info at anthea.com and we'll give them more information. Um, I would start off with that or they can connect with me directly. They can email me, message me on LinkedIn. My email is sherry at anthea.com. I'm happy to have a conversation with anyone um, and give more information, especially really I care a lot about talking to employees who don't know how to have this conversation with their boss or with their HR department. So I'm always happy to have that conversation. Yeah, because I can imagine walking into the boss's office saying, hey, I'd like uh, ketamine uh, therapy to, to be <laughs> an add-on to our health benefit program. So that's probably not an easy conversation to start off with. But uh, listen, it's becoming... It's becoming more normalized. Uh, the information's out there that points to this being a safe and effective therapeutic option. Um, it just takes research and time on on that. But Sherry, this has been this has been fantastic. I really have enjoyed this conversation. Again, I really appreciate the work uh, that you're doing here, and I look forward to continuing to follow the progress here of Anthea. So, thank you so much. Thank you so much, David. I really appreciate this. Great. Mm -hmm.